This is the Best Song Podcast, an oral history of the first 90 years of the Academy Award for Best Original Song. The Best Song Podcast was made possible by the generous support of the following. Paulus Edukas, Terry Freerks, Tina Fry, Jeff Glazer, Mark Hollingsworth, Douglas Meacham, Mark Smith, The Sokolov Family, Colin Stokes, Adrian Quinn Washington, and Ben Watson. Let's settle in now for this episode with the host of the Best Song Podcast, Jeff Cummings. Hi there. We have a lot to cover in this episode, so let's get right to it. For the second consecutive year, a movie musical was the biggest moneymaker of the year, showing that there was still a place for music in the movies after Hollywood turned away from musicals in favor of big epics and small gritty dramas in the late 1950s and early 1960s. The film adaptation of The Sound of Music, which opened in February 1965 and starred Julie Andrews as the lovable Maria, became the highest-grossing film in history, with $67.5 million earned worldwide by the end of 1966. While Hollywood was filming Broadway adaptations in the early 1960s, a sensational original musical from France flipped the preconceived notions of what movie musicals should be. The Umbrellas of Cherbourg was conceived by composer Michel Legrand and screenwriter-director Jacques Demy as a completely sung-through musical, with dialogue sung instead of spoken. The concept was largely untried outside of the opera world, but the French loved it. At the Cannes Film Festival in spring 1964, it won the top prize, the Palme d'Or. And it was nominated for Best Foreign Language Film at the Academy Awards, but didn't win in spring 1965. Once the film garnered the Palme d'Or, it was decided that it would move to the United States. When it played nationwide in January 1965, it became eligible for more Academy Awards. This is one of the early cases of a film being nominated for Best Foreign Language Film one year and then nominated for other awards the next year. And when it made its American debut, composer Michel Legrand and star Catherine Deneuve became international stars. Legrand and Demi had worked together on Demi's first film, 1961's Lola. It was not a musical, but Demi described this drama about a cabaret dancer and a love triangle as a musical without music. Not really sure what that means, but Demi decided to make a literal musical with The Umbrellas of Cherbourg three years later which is a quasi-sequel to Lola in that it features one of Lola's lovers in the plot. Legrand and Demi jointly earned two of the four Oscar nominations for The Umbrellas of Cherbourg. They were nominated for the song score in the original score category, and then for the song I Will Wait For You. Demi was nominated for original screenplay, and Legrand received a nomination as musical director in the music adaptation category. As I said, the words are entirely sung, and most of the scenes don't feature true songs with distinct melodies and song-like lyrics. Mostly, it's just the dialogue that Demi wrote put to music, just as they do in operas. But there is one sequence that created a standalone song, and it became I Will Wait For You. It's a grand musical composition by Legrand with simple lyrics by Demi. We're introduced to that melody during the opening credits, setting it up as the film's love theme long before it's put to lyrics. 
The two main characters, Guy and Genevieve, are very much in love, ready to start their lives as a married couple. But Guy disrupts those plans when he announces that he's been drafted into the army to fight in the Algerian War for two years. The song begins as Genevieve cries about being apart from Guy, saying that she will love him till she dies, and offering to hide him from the draft. Guy says that can't be done, but he promises that his love will never go away. This leads to Genevieve's final cry for him not to leave her that night, and he takes her into his apartment, where they make love. All the while, Michelle Legrand's music takes center stage. Viens, 
the true performance of the song and the scene that gave I Will Wait For You its Oscar nomination comes the next morning when Genevieve is holding tightly to Guy at the train station. The words she begins singing in French translate directly to, My love, I will wait for you all my life. She continually pleads for him not to get on the train, saying they have more time left. The music gets grander before Guy gets on the train, when Guy says, Mon amour, or my love, and Genevieve says, Je t'aime, I love you. It's a very emotional scene, with a lot of the credit going to Legrand and his creation of the theme. I don't want to diminish the work that Jacques Demy did here in creating the lyrics, but the words aren't the primary reason we get lumps in our throats in this moment. Though Catherine Deneuve would later show in her career that she was a capable singer, her voice in this movie was dubbed by Danielle Lacari, who was named in the credits as one of the singers, something that wasn't normally done. Nino Casanuovo's singing was dubbed by Jose Bartel. The musical love theme returns during the ending when Genevieve and Guy are reunited. She didn't wait for him because it was feared that he died. Genevieve gave birth to their child, and it was raised by her and her husband. As she drives to the gas station he had dreamed of owning, the music plays until the ending. Luckily, there are a few words spoken because... 
it would be hard to read the subtitles through the tears. Once The Umbrellas of Cherbourg became an international hit, I Will Wait For You was immediately translated into English. Those lyrics were written by Norman Gimbel, who had just translated the Portuguese lyrics for The Girl from Ipanema and made it an international hit. He helped I Will Wait For You become just as popular in January 1965. Steve Lawrence was the first to record and release the English version. The song is no longer a duet, but the sentiments are still the same. Because the English version of the song did not appear in the original version, Norman Gimbel was not part of the Oscar nomination for I Will Wait For You. But his version helped increase the visibility of the song and convince Academy voters to pick it as a nominee. Perhaps Demi and Legrand will thank Norman Gimbel if they win the Academy Award. Another song from The Umbrellas of Cherbourg almost made its way onto the official Oscar nominations list. In French, the title is Sur le Quai, or On the Dock, 
and it made it onto the list of 10 songs that survived the preliminary nomination voting. It comes during a scene before Guy is called to war. The two lovers walk on the dock and talk about their future together. Genevieve says she will name their daughter Francoise, and Guy sings about the gas station he will own before Genevieve complains about him smelling like gasoline all day. The song ends with a fast melody as Genevieve mimics the anger her mother will have when she learns of their marriage plans. Nous aurons des enfants J'appellerai ma fille Françoise Et si c'est un garçon Ce sera une fille Il y a toujours eu des filles dans la famille Une heure, si maman ne dort pas Oh là, qu'est-ce que je vais entendre Je devrais me maquiller, tu ne trouves pas Non, tu es très jolie comme ça Un peu ici Où ça Là Nous achèterons une station service. Pourquoi Quelle idée Toute blanche avec un bureau. Tu verras. Tu sentiras l'essence toute la journée. Quel bonheur Nous serons très heureux. Et nous resterons amoureux. Tu n'as rien dit à ta mère Pas encore Pourquoi tu es lâche Il ne faut pas que tu te fâches Mais je sais ce qu'elle me répondra Quoi Ma petite fille, tu es folle Est-ce qu'on pense au mariage à ton âge The love for The Umbrellas of Cherbourg could have carried Sur Le Quai to an Oscar nomination. But just like Mary Poppins the year before, the Academy didn't seem to want two songs from one great musical as nominees. Just like I Will Wait For You, this song was given completely new lyrics in English and called Where's the Love? It was first sung by Trini Lopez in 1967, and the lyrics by Bobby Weinstein speak of a lost love instead of a new love. It's almost as if, if this song was to be performed as an epilogue to The Umbrellas of Cherbourg, when Guy is an old man thinking about on his time with Genevieve. Where's the love that I knew? The love that changed my life around. I'm on a cloud and I wish I knew what to do to get my feet back on the ground. Just when I think I'm over you, you haunt me once again. Where's the love that I knew? What did I do to make you go? Knowing it hurts me, I can't help wondering who enjoys the kiss I used to know. Just when I think I'm over you, I dream about you. Where's the love that I knew? That special dream I shared with you. 
Falling in love is the only thing I regret Because I know I can't forget Just when I think I'm over you You haunt me once again Remember that I said Where's the Love was not recorded until 1967, more than a year after the Academy Awards that featured The Umbrellas of Cherbourg. So it made me wonder why that title showed up on the Academy's shortlist that I received. I did some digging to try and find out what title Demi and Legrand submitted the song under for Oscar consideration, because it certainly could not have been Where's the Love. Unfortunately, the Academy did not allow me access to the information regarding the submission of the songs from the Umbrellas of Cherbourg, saying those records are not available for public viewing. So, we're left with an unsolved mystery here about this second song. I'm wondering if the Academy's records were updated after 1967 to change the song's title to Where's the Love instead of Sur le Quai, not realizing that the two songs are completely different in lyrics though similar in melody. I would say it doesn't matter since Sir LeKay nor Where's the Love were named as an Oscar nominee, but this is just another discrepancy in the Academy records that the Academy doesn't seem to care to reconcile. So, let's just move on. In the previous episode, I talked about the Sherman brothers and their Oscar win for writing Chim Chim Cheri for Mary Poppins. That was the first time two brothers had won an Academy Award in any category. In 1965, we had another sibling piece of history, with two brothers again nominated for songwriting. But this time, they are competing against each other. Mac David earned his fifth consecutive Oscar nomination for the song The Ballad of Cat Baloo, and his younger brother Hal earned his first nomination for writing What's New Pussycat. We'll start with Mac David's song, The Ballad of Cat Baloo, which he wrote with Jerry Livingston. The song is performed seven times through the film as a narrative device used to tell the viewers about the female outlaw Cat Baloo, played by Jane Fonda. Nat King Cole and Stubby Kay act as sort of a Greek chorus throughout the film, coming in and out to comment on the action. They open the film with the main performance of The Ballad of Cat Baloo, letting us know that Cat is about to be executed by hanging for killing a man, and that the death is justified because she's just about as evil as they come. The song leads into Frank DeVol's music for the opening credits. Well now friends, just lend an ear, for you're now about to hear the ballad of Cat Baloo. It's a song that's newly made and Professor Sam the Shade and the Sunrise Kid are singing it for you. It's a hanging day in Wolf City, Wyoming, Wolf City, Wyoming. 1894 They're gonna drop Cat Baloo Through the gallows floor She killed a man 
in Wolf City, Wyoming. Wolf City, Wyoming. Killed a man, it's true. And that is why they're hanging, hanging cat for Lou. She has the smile of an angel. Fights like the devil. The eyes of an angel. Fights like the devil. The face of an angel. I say she's the devil. She's mean and evil through and through. Cat balloon. Cat balloon. She's mean and evil through and through. Since Nat King Cole and Stubby K play banjos on screen, the song definitely needed to be heavy on the banjo. It sounds a bit odd to hear Nat King Cole not singing in his signature soft and smooth tones, but I think that's what makes the performance of the song so wonderful. Plus, he adds some diversity to the cast, which is made of only one other person of color, an Indian man played by Tom Nardini. The second performance of The Ballad of Cat Baloo comes right after the opening credits, where we see Cat Baloo in prison the day of her hanging. A group of church women start singing outside her window, with Cole and Kay countering the women with a brief reprise of the ballad that takes us back to the day Cat arrived on the train to start a new life as a school teacher. returns as Cat arrives in town. They foreshadow Cat's eventual downfall as we see her on a carriage with her father. Cat Baloo, she lived in Wolf City, Wyoming and folks here in Wyoming live high off the hog. That brand new firm, Susan Roebuck send them their cat along. It's an up Right town, yeah. With kind, wonderful people, oh. reliable people, sure. Friendly as can be. So they say. When they say howdy, they mean it. Ha! Yep, they're neighborly. Yep, 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 yep. 
If only Cat had behaved These folks would befriend her If Cat had behaved Their hearts they would lend her But Cat was depraved To help now they'll send her She could have lived like others do Cat Baloo Wicked through and through They'll now be hanging Cat Baloo the ballad's melody by Jerry Livingston remains for the fourth rendition, but the lyrics this time are for the drunk gunslinger named Kid Shireen, played by Lee Marvin. The lyrics describe him as one of the best gunfighters in the West, but what we see is a man so drunk he has thrown off the wagon that brings him to town. Then there came to town a gun deadly and frightening, a gun quicker than lightning, fast as gun you've seen. It was the gun in the hand of steel-eyed Kid Shelley. Just one look at him Had folks started the booger Wild, wild as a cougar Proud and fierce and mean There was no man who was tougher Tough as Kid Shelley Devil. The look of a killer The look of a devil The face of a killer That man was the devil Just wild and honorary and mean Kitchelin, Kitchelin The fastest gun you've ever seen After her father is killed, Catherine Ballou becomes Cat Ballou, out to avenge her father's death. This rendition of her ballad comes after a very tender song that Nat King Cole performs called They Won't Make Her Cry. And those lyrics find their way into this version of Cat Baloo. So that mournful day became part of a legend, the real start of a legend known as Cat Baloo. They'll never make her cry. Makes no difference how they try, they'll never make her cry. When you have no tears, then you've got to have something. Hate really is something, blood is what you need. They'll never make her cry. And Cat Baloo made her mind up to make this country Makes no difference how they try, they'll never make her cry. 
there's a very brief performance of the Ballad of Cat Ballou later in the movie after they rob a train, and I won't play it because it's so short. But Cole and Kay return for the finale, after Cat is rescued from hanging by her gang, and they ride off into the sunset. So she rode away Just where now is a mystery But Cat rode into history And her legend grew She was the queen of the outlaws Her highness Cat Baloo Cat Baloo Cat Baloo Well, our story now is true Cat Baloo Cat Baloo We'll say farewell to Cat This was one of a handful of movies in which Nat King Cole did not play himself as a singer in a nightclub. And unfortunately, it was his last. Cole apparently did not know it at the time, but he was sick with terminal lung cancer after years of smoking. The toll his body took during filming was hard to see. We see the Nat King Cole that was charming and handsome, though in between takes his co-star said he was often coughing strongly. Add to it the nightly singing gigs he was doing in Lake Tahoe, and it became too much to handle. Nat King Cole died February 15, 1965, four months before Cat Ballou hit theaters. Newspapers reporting his death did not mention his role in Cat Ballou, and it was only when the film premiered did he get a few mentions. Jerry Livingston and Mac David had been working together constantly since their last movie collaboration earned them an Oscar nomination in 1959. They wrote the theme songs for all four of the detective TV shows that Warner Brothers was producing between 1959 and 1963. Because those songs would appear in every episode, Livingston and David were getting hefty royalties for their work even though they never got nominated for an Emmy for writing the theme songs. While Mac David was finding good work on TV and in film, his brother Hal was finding quick success in the business. It was a fateful meeting in 1957 with composer Burt Bacharach that launched him into a long partnership that brought a new flavor of movie music to the screen. Before they made an assault on Hollywood's long-standing musical regime, they were helping a young singer named Dionne Warwick become a star in her own right. Songs written by Hal David and Burt Bacharach for Dionne Warwick before 1965 included Don't Make Me Over, Wishin' and Hopin', and Walk On By. From then on, pretty much anything that Dionne Warwick sang through the late 1960s and most of the 1970s was written by Bacharach and David. But Dionne Warwick wasn't the only artist getting to sing their songs. In 1965, the sexual revolution was fully in gear, and the movie What's New Pussycat epitomized all that was happening in the country with young, single people. Warren Beatty, who was on his way to becoming the Casanova of Hollywood based on his numerous affairs with his leading ladies, was initially set to star in the film as the womanizer Michael, who was trying to settle down with little luck. The title of the movie came from Beatty himself, as he used to say what's new pussycat when he answered the phone. The title stuck, and it was up to Bacharach and David to write a song around that title. At the time, Welsh singer Tom Jones was already doing what Warren Beatty would be well known for doing, 
having multiple affairs with women he encountered. What made it more scandalous for Jones was that he was married, and he stayed married to the same woman from 1957 to 2016. But Tom Jones was the perfect choice to sing What's New Pussycat, and it became his signature song. We hear it during the opening credits, which features animation of peacocks and dancing cats to the beat of a waltz inspired by the three syllables of Pussycat. It's not as scandalous a song as you might think. It's a love song in which Tom Jones sings about his lover's pussycat nose, pussycat lips, and pussycat eyes. The whoa, whoa, whoa has become one of the big sing-along moments whenever Tom Jones performs it in concert. What's new, pussycat? Whoa, 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 whoa. What's new, pussycat? Whoa, 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 whoa. Pussycat, pussycat, I've got flowers and lots of hours to spend with you. So go and potter your cute little pussycat nose. Pussycat, pussycat, I love you. Yes, I And your pussycat nose. What's new, pussycat? Whoa, 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 whoa. What's new, pussycat? Whoa, 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 whoa. Pussycat, pussycat, you're so thrilling, and I'm so willing to care for you. So go and make up your big little pussycat eyes. Pussycat, pussycat, I love you, yes, I do, you and your pussycat eyes. What's new, pussycat? Whoa, 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 whoa. What's new, pussycat? Whoa, 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 whoa. Pussycat, pussycat, you're delicious and if my wishes can all come true I'll soon be kissing your sweet little pussycat lips Pussycat, pussycat, I love you Yes, I do You and your pussycat lips You and your pussycat eyes You and your pussycat No Not only did the song give Bacharach and David their first Oscar nominations, it was their highest charting song in their young partnership. Despite Tom Jones being a subject of the British Empire, the song only went to number 11 on the UK charts. In the United States, though, Americans went mad for it, and it almost made it to number one on the Billboard charts, with the Rolling Stones song I Can't Get No Satisfaction stopping its run. Moving on to the fourth nominated song, and it comes from one of the least known on-screen collaborations between Elizabeth Taylor and Richard Burden during their tumultuous relationship. The Sandpiper was much more intimate and much less expensive than the last movie they did together, the colossal flop Cleopatra. And it was the first movie they did as a married couple after starting an affair while each were married to other people. Maybe it was because their picture was in every tabloid magazine, or just because they were pretty good actors, but The Sandpiper turned out to be a big hit 
with $13 million in grosses. The song written for the film, called The Shadow of Your Smile, also had a lot to do with the movie's success. Johnny Mandel, who composed the film's underscore, created the melody for the song and had Paul Francis Webster put lyrics to it. The film version cuts out the middle verse of the song to make sure it fits the length of time it takes to run the end credits. Here's the version released on the film's soundtrack album, with the middle verse included. Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences Music Branch made a clarification in its rules regarding the eligibility of songs starting in 1965. Specifically, the new rule states that, quote, a song must be used vocally in the body of an eligible motion picture. The body of a picture shall be interpreted to include the main title and all dramatic action. End quote. The main title is the credit sequence at the beginning of a movie, where the film's title is displayed as well as the cast and several crew members. Before 1960, the practice was to list every vital crew member of the film in the main title, but that practice changed in the 1960s with films using an end credit sequence to either list the cast again, with the roles they played, or to continue to list the crew members who were not mentioned in the main title. If one were to read the Academy's rule literally, Putting the song only in the end credits disqualifies the song from being eligible. So, The Shadow of Your Smile should have been disqualified. I'm willing to bet that the filmmakers appealed to the Academy to keep their song eligible, since the song is performed over the end credits in front of shots of Big Sur, California, where the film is set. One could argue that those shots continue the dramatic action, just as those shots started the dramatic action in the opening credits. As has happened a lot, the songwriters found a loophole, and I could see some validity in their argument, 
if they had to make one. With The Shadow of Your Smile getting the nomination, Johnny Mandel earned his first Oscar nomination after a career as a performer in jazz bands in the 1940s and early 1950s. His first film score was for Susan Hayward's Oscar-winning film I Want to Live in 1958, which earned Mandel three Grammy nominations in one year. Mandel returned to the Grammy nominations list for writing The Shadow of Your Smile, nominated for Song of the Year with Webster. Tony Bennett recorded the commercial version of the song, and that recording earned a Record of the Year Grammy nomination. One day we walked along the sand One day in early spring You held a piper in your hand To mend its broken wing Now I'll remember many a day And many a lonely mile The echo of a piper's song The shadow of a smile The shadow of your smile When you are gone Will color all my dreams And light the dawn Look into my love and see all the lovely things you are to me our wistful Teardrop kissed your lips And so did I
Webster was doing well in his contract with MGM, but he was still looking for a hit song, which he hadn't enjoyed for about a decade. Tony Bennett changed that, as his recording sold close to a million records in late fall 1965. Webster wasn't the first choice to write the lyrics for Mandel's melody. Johnny Mercer was one of the many lyricists who were asked to submit their lyrics for consideration. Mercer submitted a lyric that partially went like this. Today I'm in a mood I can't explain. It might be just a sudden morning rain. Today I saw a bird that broke its wing, which isn't itself a tragic thing. Mercer thought the song would work since the lyrics referred to a scene in which Elizabeth Taylor found a sandpiper with a broken wing and nursed it back to health. When his lyric was refused, he simply went about his life. It was later, when the song with Paul Francis Webster's lyrics were released, that he found out that he was competing with an unknown number of songwriters for the chance to have their lyrics in the movie. According to his biography, Mercer stuck his rejected lyric on the wall near the piano where he worked as a reminder that you can't win them all. Mercer had his own entry in the Oscar race that year, and he didn't have to fight with other lyricists to write this one. This song was another collaboration with longtime partner Henry Mancini, called The Sweetheart Tree, from Blake Edwards' newest comedy, The Great Race. After the success of The Pink Panther the year before, Edwards was pretty much given a blank check to make this film about a car race from New York to Paris as an homage to the great physical comedies of the silent film era. Jack Lemmon, fully recovered from the tough shooting of Blake Edwards' Days of Wine and Roses, does full-on comedy here in two roles, as a professor and as a prince. The rest of the cast can be considered all-star, with Tony Curtis reuniting with his Some Like It Hot co-star Lemmon, and Natalie Wood and Peter Falk doing decent work. The other big star of the film was Henry Mancini, putting his jazzy musical touches to the score. As he usually does, Mancini composed the score first, then found a melody in it that would make for a good song. That song turned out to be The Sweetheart Tree, sung by Natalie Wood and presented with the same campy style that ran throughout the entire film. While Wood sings by a river in France, the lyrics appear on the screen for the first half of the song, with a bouncing ball hitting on each word as they're sung. There doesn't seem to be a need for this since the other songs in the movie, including another one written by Mancini and Mercer that's a little more complicated to sing, don't have those lyrics show up on the screen. Perhaps the audience in 1965 sang along with the bouncing ball as they watched the movie, or perhaps they just laughed at the sight. It doesn't really have anything to do with the film, but it's a fun show-stopping scene. They say there's a tree in the forest A tree that will give you a sign Come along with me to the sweet Come and carve your name next to mine They say if you kiss the right sweetheart 
As you might know from her experience in West Side Story, Natalie Wood is just an average singer, and her singing was dubbed for The Sweetheart Tree by Jackie Ward, who dubbed Natalie Wood in 1965's Inside Daisy Clover as well. So these five song nominations for 1965 have a lot of diversity in them, but as they did in 1964, the Academy seemed to disregard some of the more popular songs from another very popular Beatles movie. Though not a sensation as much as A Hard Day's Night, the comedy called Help was another chance for the Beatles to sell some records. In this case, the four are playing themselves during a week of trying to record an album while a cult is trying to retrieve a sacred ring that Ringo is wearing. It's a little nuts, much more chaotic than A Hard Day's Night, but the songs are still quite fun, including the title song. It's sung in the opening credits while the leader of this cult watches a film of the Beatles singing the song. He throws darts at the screen when he realizes that Ringo has the ring he desperately needs. Help! I need somebody! Help! Not just anybody! Help! You know I need someone! So much younger than today I never needed anybody's help in any way Now but now these days are gone I'm not so self-assured Now I find a gentle mind I'll open up the doors The song comes back at the end when the ring somehow gets put on the cult leader's hand, which means he's the one to be sacrificed. That's when the meaning of the song really comes into play. This was the second movie for the Beatles and their fifth studio album. Like the others that came before it, Help was a major success all over the world. The seven songs that were written for the film, including the title song and Ticket to Ride, were big hits as singles, but not as big as one of the songs that was not written for the film but was put on this album. Yesterday has become one of the most recorded songs from the Beatles and helped change the viewpoint of some of the snobbier critics of the band. Unfortunately, that turnaround view didn't help the Beatles when the song nominees were announced at the Oscars. If the snub of the songs from A Hard Day's Night was a hard refusal to nominate any rock songs, 
saying no to Help or any of the other songs from that movie cemented the Academy's view on the Beatles at the time. Even the Hollywood Foreign Press Association denied any songs from Help with a nomination for the Golden Globes. Three of the eventual Oscar nominees for Best Song, Ballad of Cat Baloo, The Shadow of Your Smile, and The Sweetheart Tree, were among the Golden Globe nominees. Singer Bobby Darin wrote the title song for his romantic comedy starring him and his wife, Sandra Dee, called That Funny Feeling, and the song is light and inoffensive, just like the movie. There is an air about her Something so square about her That makes you care about her More than you should First that funny feeling Then the warm comes on A dull familiar lull Before the storm comes on The inconceivable Becomes achievable It's unbelievable What you can do When that funny feeling Touches you And she has got that funny feeling too Such demands on you Better never let her get her hands on you The inconceivable becomes achievable It's unbelievable what you can do Once that funny feeling touches you In the years to come, the Hollywood Foreign Press Association will nominate songs written by celebrities in the hopes of getting them to attend their awards banquet, whether the nomination was warranted or not. I think Bobby Darren's nomination fit that mold, especially since it beat out the very popular What's New Pussycat. The other Golden Globe nominee is the song that would win the Globe that year, and it's from the somewhat successful anthology movie The Yellow Rolls Royce. The film is built around the title car that has adventures in three different stories, taking place in England, Italy, and the United States. The winning song was written by Riz Ortolani, who wrote the music for the song More that kind of appeared in the movie Mondo Kane a few years back. The lyrics were by Norman Newell, who took Ortolani's melody and put English lyrics to it. The song is called Forget Domani and is performed in English and Italian and the word domani in Italian means tomorrow. So the song is asking the listener to stop worrying about the future and live for the present. That's the essence of the scene featuring the song, as Shirley MacLaine is having a dinner date with Alan de Leon. They're at a restaurant where Catina Ranieri, the wife of the song's composer, Riz Ortolani, sings the song while they dance. 
domani. Let's live for now and anyhow, who needs domani? The moonlight, let's share the moonlight. Perhaps together we will never be again. Oh, che luna. Remember? Oh, che mare. Oh, what a moon and what a sea and you with me. I get so dizzy when you're standing near. It's not the music that you hear. My heart is beating like the jungle drums. Let's leave the minutes as they speed away and hope it's true what the people say when you're in love, domani never comes. Let's forget about domani. Let's forget about domani. Let's forget about domani for domani never comes. Let's forget about tomorrow the song is pretty good good enough for a golden globe but apparently not good enough for an academy award nomination and it wasn't even good enough to make the preliminary voting into the top 10 the golden globe award was given to riz ortolani and norman newell in february 1965 just as voting was ending for oscar nominations the win for Forget Domani didn't seem to help his chances at the Oscars, and as we'll see, many Golden Globe winning songs and nominees will seemingly be ignored by the Academy, and vice versa. One month later, The Shadow of Your Smile and I Will Wait for You were competing at the Grammy Awards for Song of the Year, which is given to the songwriters. Those songs were nominated with John Lennon and Paul McCartney's song Yesterday, which, as I said earlier, became one of the most recorded songs in history. Earlier in the evening, Johnny Mandel won the Grammy for Best Score Album for Motion Picture for his work on The Sandpiper, and he had a second one in his hand when he won with Paul Francis Webster for Song of the Year for Shadow of Your Smile. Though the Grammy Award meant a lot because it came from the voters in the music business, the Academy Award was still the gold standard for movie songwriters, and everyone wanted at least the nomination. That ceremony was held on April 18, 1956, just two days after Henry Mancini's 42nd birthday. Burt Bacharach was the only other nominated songwriter to have a birthday within a month of the Oscars, turning 38 in mid-May. The ceremony was history-making, as it was the first to be broadcast on television in color. That meant the women were eager to show off their favorite designer's very colorful gowns, and many did not disappoint. The gold on the large Oscar statues on stage were given an extra sheen, and fountains gushed water throughout the show. This was Bob Hope's 15th time hosting the Oscars, and the Board of Governors presented him with their first Academy Gold Medal at the end of the show for his dedication to movies and to the Academy. Long before that, the five dominated songs were performed in living color by several famous performers. Michelle Legrand was as close as the night got to hearing the original performers sing the nominated songs. He sang I Will Wait For You with Jane Morgan, who had success in her early career in France and thus was able to sing the French song. 
The comedy song, The Ballad of Cat Baloo, was sung by the comedy duo The Smothers Brothers, and Liza Minnelli made her first Academy Awards appearance singing What's New Pussycat. Natalie Wood was the presenter for the Best Song Academy Award, probably hoping deep down that the song she lip-synced, The Sweetheart Tree, was going to win. But it was the shadow of your smile that took the award for Johnny Mandel and Paul Francis Webster. Webster, who was holding his third Oscar for songwriting, didn't say too much, and neither did Johnny Mandel, who was winning on his first try. That made Mandel's and Webster's mantles a little more full after winning those Grammys earlier, and Webster joined that exclusive club of three-time Oscar-winning songwriters. It will be interesting to see if he can join the even more exclusive group of four-time winners, but I won't give anything away about that. You'll just have to listen to more episodes of the Best Song Podcast to find out how Webster does and how Mandel does in future Academy Award ceremonies. I know I spoke a lot already about the Umbrellas of Cherbourg, especially how one of the songs was listed in the official Academy record under an English title, even though that English version didn't come out until about 18 months after the Academy Awards ceremony. But there's a little more to this story, and it involves the song that actually did receive the Oscar nomination. In the official Academy Online database, as of the recording of this episode in 2023, the nominees for I Will Wait For You are Michelle Legrand, Jacques Demy, and Norman Gimbel. Now, as I said earlier, Norman Gimbel was not named as one of the nominees back in 1966 when the Oscar nominations were first announced, even though he created the lyrics for the popular English version. But his name is there now, and I believe it was put in there sometime between the year 2000 and the year 2022. The Academy's official book on the first 70 years of the Oscars that was published in 1999 doesn't list Gimbel's name. So someone must have lobbied for his inclusion in the past 20 years or so. Maybe that someone was Gimbel himself. Whoever it was, that person discovered the rule in the 1965 rulebook that stated, quote, When the lyric in the second language is a totally new concept, a totally original lyric, including a new title, then the second writer shall share the nomination and or award with the original writers, end quote. No one seemed to notice that rule before the Oscar nominations were announced in late winter 1965, or maybe it was too late for Norman Gimbel to be added to the nominations list. But someone wanted to make up for it. The Academy isn't able to give me any information regarding when Gimbel was added as a nominee for I Will Wait For You. And Gimbel passed away in 2018, so we're not going to get any answers for this. So we're just going to close out another episode of the Best Song Podcasts with more unsolved mysteries in this crazy Oscar category. Perhaps fortunately for us, 1966 is going to be a relatively quiet year for movie songs but that doesn't mean the quality decreases. We'll find out which five songs get that nomination on the next episode. That's going to do it for this episode of the Best Song Podcast. My thanks to Andreas Bertram for sponsoring this episode. Thank you for singing along with me. Let's do it again next time. 
The Best Song Podcast is not authorized or endorsed by the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. The show's creator, writer, producer, and editor is Jeff Cummings. All music clips are permitted for use under the Education Clause of the Fair Use Doctrine in United States law.